Don't want to anger the robots by yelling Mark at them. Mark Zuckerberg's going to start twitching in an unknown location. Okay, I need to make this bigger because my old eyes can't reach. You're not old, Jamie. How old am I? Forty. I don't know. Forty something. Forty-one. Forty-one. I'm not yet forty. I still have a little bit more than a year. It's good when you cross a threshold because then you're like, oh, great, ages till the next threshold. <laughs> well, Sean, my husband, is 40. And so, and I kind of like see us as like a, you know, we're the same age. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I feel like I've been 40 for a couple of years. Right. I mean, for at least one year. But. I've been at least in my 40s for at least the last 20 years. <laughs> at least. <laughs> You were born in your 40s. Yeah. You're like yeah. Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, all right, first um, of all, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes. <laughs> we're back. 2024. Goodness me. Um, how was your should we sing? Should we period? sing the song? The New Year song? Should old acquaintance oh. be forgot and never brought to mind? No. Very good. Yeah. Um, how was your uh, festive period? It was great. It was great. I had a, an unexpected party um, on New Year's Day because my mother-in-law made gumbo, which is really great, Oh, but didn't really communicate with us well that uh, 15 people were coming over at one o'clock that were her friends <laughs> on New Year's Day. <laughs> And then we also had my entire family of like 35, 40 people coming over at five o'clock. Oh so, my God. I don't know if we just like got the time wrong and they came at one, but they were supposed to come at five. I don't know. In any case, it was fine. I had extra food from the night before when we had a New Year's party. And so I threw together appetizer platters and chips and everyone had gumbo and it was delicious and great. But uh, it was unexpected to see 15 people walking up to my front door like, hi, and I didn't know who they were. And I was just like, hi, and they walked into my house and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> oh my God, I'd be out the back door straight away. <laughs> Fun times. All right, so Fun today time. we have decided, well, I made the executive decision, <laughs> I've told you, that we're going to be talking about tech as well. Something I've wanted to do for a while is just, I'm a bit of a dork with that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know you you have interest in it too. So we asked in the Facebook group for any questions, concerns, irritations, frustrations. And I put that up about half an hour ago <laughs> and we've got, what is it? 40 something. I see 42 comments right now. 46 at this point. 46. <laughs> I need to refresh. So uh, we're not going to get through everyone. And there is some repetition I've noticed, but uh, we'll we'll go down the list and then we'll um, try and answer a few questions. At least give our opinion, our take, how we would approach it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is open to interpretation with this stuff. And then, of course, there are some definitive answers, yes or no, when it comes to tech. But... Uh, should we just kick off? Let's do it. Okay. So Andy B, I know you do not have to break the bank and spend ungodly amounts of money, but conversely, you cannot get away with no frills, low-end models either. So that's that's more of a statement. But what do you think about that? So in 2024, it's now 2024, it is 100% required for any voice actor to have a professional home studio. In 2014, when I started, it was not as important for you to have a professional sounding home studio because many jobs still recorded in studio. Now, if you're not in L.A. or New York, you are uh, most likely recording from home. Even if you are in L.A. or New York, you are most likely recording from home about 97% of the time. So you have to have something that can be, the sound of your studio can go straight to air. Now, do you have to have the most fancy equipment and spend $10,000 on your studio? Absolutely not. 
But should you have the sound of your studio evaluated by someone who knows what they're listening for and who works in the genres that you work in often? Absolutely. So um, there are ways to do it inexpensively, but I would say definitely have your studio sound evaluated by someone who knows what they're listening for. Yeah, completely agree. Um, can we do some live engineering live on the pod? Yeah. Um, I forgot to turn my original we sound musicians for musicians on. Oh, me too. Let's do it now when you hear the difference. Three, two, one. How's that? Sounds okay. better, right? There we go. Yeah, it does sound better. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing. People think Zoom sounds crappy, but you have to set up Zoom to make it sound good. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that was a little thing. Um, all right. So my thoughts on this. Yes, you really have to have a great sounding studio to compete in 2024. I think it's made all the harder now, actually, because AI doesn't have studio limitations. So the AI voices are just always going to sound a certain level of good because they don't... Or a certain not, level of bad. Well, yeah, it's going <laughs> to be however you define it. But yes, but the, yes. But the recording, the recorded sound is fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, the performance, we can have another discussion about that. So I think it's important to uh, articulate that you have to cross the threshold of quality to be competitive. Now, yes, you don't have to spend $5,000 on a microphone. You don't have to spend a ton of money on a preamp. As we'll say a million times, your environment is the key. I would 100% take a nice sounding acoustic environment and a Blue Yeti over a U87 or a 416 in an compromised space in a compromised space so know where you're spending your money and what makes sense at that moment to solve the biggest problems first so if your space isn't great the microphone ain't going to do anything for you spend a bit of money buying some um, acoustic blankets that can absorb some of the reflections or maybe move some things around so you can locate your studio space in a different part of your home away from the noise interruptions or whatever your specific situations are sort the big things out first and it gets exponentially easier as you solve those big problems and you, it is kind of a law of diminishing returns when it comes to tech and studio stuff that honestly a lot of production so much can be done in post these days that i don't think people are necessarily judging you quite as harshly on those last few percentage points of quality they know that can be fixed, that can be tidied, that can be kind of sorted out in post. That's not to say you need to be slack about it. And maybe you could argue if there's person A and person B and you're basically on a level performance-wise, maybe the person with the better sound gets the gig. Maybe that's that could be argued. I don't think that's the case most often. I think people are chosen based on their performance, what the vibe they're giving and their age and the genre and all that kind of stuff. So... I think when you're early in your career, solve the big problems first and don't sweat about the, oh, I've got this brand of mic and it can be like 3% better if I spend another $1,000. Like, that's not really going to impact your career in any meaningful way. But when you get into a higher level and you are being judged for AAA video games, national television commercials, promo, etc., then you do need to spend that money to make yourself as competitive as possible. Um, but you have that money because you're operating at that level. So it makes sense, you know, kind of horses for horses. I always, I always say, um, do what you can with what you have and then grow as you go. Yeah. Like just buy the equipment that's necessary for you when you need it. Um, which is exactly what you're saying. But I will say, though, that, you know, when I'm working with a client that I haven't worked with before and they um, they get on Source Connect and they assume that I've only used it like twice in my life when really <laughs> I use it twice every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, hey, uh, so uh, what kind of mic are you? Uh, just, just checking, just checking. What kind of mic do you have? And I say like, oh, I have a Sennheiser MKH416 immediately they go, they like breathe a sigh of relief and yeah. they go, oh, okay, thank God this person knows what they're doing. Just by virtue of the fact that I have a microphone that is considered an industry standard. Yeah. Um, 
not that the 416, I mean, I love the 416, but the 416 is not the end-all, be-all of all microphones and, you know, the greatest mic that's ever been invented in the world. But it is an industry standard, so they know, you know, that at least I have invested a, a level of cash into this business. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they're just like, particularly when you do these studio tests, they're just ticking off the person who's doing the studio test is not necessarily the engineer. It could be just anyone <laughs> you know, yeah. in the company. And they're just ticking off, oh, you've got a wired connection, you've got a 416, you're in a booth, blah, 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 using Pro Tools, blah, whatever it is. They just want to tick it off and, like you say, have sort of peace of mind. So this is something we'll talk about as we go along. Really, you need your studio quality to be fantastic into your computer without all the faffing around with all the processing, because if you're going to be directed live, that is what you're sending your clients directly via Source Connect. So there is no hiding <laughs> in that situation. So having a great booth, having a great mic, having a great interface, knowing how to use it, setting your game right, there is nowhere to hide outside of that. So Yeah, capture yeah. it right the first time. Yeah, but if you don't have the money, you can make do with what you have and make the best of what you have as you grow. You upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so moving on. Alicia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, biggest admission, I can't use Audition, meaning Adobe Audition, without Uncle Roy. <laughs> By having him set it up, I set myself up to have no idea how to use it without him. I feel like I'm driving a fancy car, but all I know how to do is push the buttons. When the buttons stop working, I'm toast. Yes. This is this is a this is a problem. This is a problem. I love this comment actually. I do too. I think it speaks to a lot. Uh yeah, yeah. Uh and this is um So when I was learning how to how to record myself, I didn't have any coaches, I didn't have any anything. I I literally looked up every single article I could find about recording voices. I looked up YouTube videos that were done by engineers that talked about recording voices. I learned what I I looked up terms like what does EQ mean? What does compression mean? What does normalization mean? Like what do all of these things mean? And I tried to like put my brain through a course of what it what is it to be an audio engineer? And then Every time I had a problem, I use Logic Pro on um, Mac because I started on GarageBand. But GarageBand, while it's good to just kind of begin, um, if you're doing professional level work, you really can't use GarageBand because it only exports in stereo. It only ex exports at a certain bit rate that is not the bit rate that you need for um, professional quality, or sorry, sample rate that you need for professional quality work. Um, and so I moved up to Logic because it's literally the same program as GarageBand. All of the buttons are in the same place. It's just an expanded version that has professional capabilities. You pay one time and it's done. Anytime I had a question about anything I was doing, I would look up the answer and I would teach myself the solution. When you use someone else to teach you what to do, you're not creating those neurological pathways in your brain to figure out how to do it yourself. So I would say to Alicia, from now on, when you have a question, don't immediately go to your tech coach. Instead, go to a website, look up the answer as best you can, futz around with all the buttons and create that connection for yourself so that every time you have that problem again, you know how to fix it. Mm. Yeah, completely agree. I would also add that there are so many really great online tutorials. Just search on YouTube for any of these doors. And maybe you just watch one a day and it's like 10 minutes out of your day while you're having your breakfast or something. And really understand the tools that you use, exactly what Karin just said. Because there are so many examples when something's happened, you're like, oh, it's that. This has a tech component to it, this job. So I think it really is incumbent upon you to learn that stuff too, to a certain degree. If you're like a, I don't know, like a, like a pizza delivery guy, you don't need to learn how the engine works in your car, but you do need to learn the route. You need to learn how to get from A to B and, and 
And if if there's traffic on one street, you can go a different way. You know, it's a similar thing with this. And this happens all the time in live sessions with Source Connect, with your door, whatever it is. And yeah, if you're reliant on someone to get back to you, you can really hamstring a process. The thing with some of these, what's called stacks, basically you pay someone to set up your door for you and they create EQs and compression settings and gates and all this other stuff. And maybe in that one instance with that audio that you gave them, it is right. But so many times, if your performance is different, if your mic technique is different, if your intent is different, if the genre that you're recording for is different, if the dynamics of your performance are different, uh, if what the client is wanting is different, whether it's a promo or whether it's a video game, like <laughs> you name it, your performance is different every time behind the mic for varying different reasons. And those settings may not be right. Or maybe something in that stack is effing up what you're trying to do. And that is the problem. <laughs> you really need to know what is going on with every aspect of your door, all the way from using your voice into the mic and understanding how that interacts through the gain into your computer and then how that audio is processed within your door, you need to understand that whole flow to be able to figure out why something's distorting, why it's not sounding right, why it's sounding weird, or why something's not working, to really give your client the perfect, I always use this in our example, this perfect fillet of meat <laughs> to, for them to cook, you know? In America, we say fillet. Fillet. Filet, sorry, because you're fancy over here. Which is we're fancier. It's, it's more French. <laughs> well, that's the problem. Even though you're closer to France, we try to be more fancy. So, yeah, I, I, there's a lot to talk about with this in terms of understanding your tech and the problem with stacks. <laughs> yeah, I, I would go one step further and say you said in the in the beginning that, you know, it's part of it's it should be part of your job to know at least a little bit about this. I would say it is part of your job to be as knowledgeable about this side of the business as you possibly can be, because. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, gone are the days when a professional voice actor just has to go into the studio and act. That is not the job anymore. Mm. It used to be in the 90s, early 2000s, even in the beginning of the 2010s. It is no longer the case. It's true. Sometimes people who are on-camera actors go into the studio, just record their major animated movie or or TV show, or people who are mostly on-camera actors go into the studio and record a short commercial and they're done. But if you are making voiceover your living, this is part of the job. And I, and I compare voice actors to professional photographers all the time. If you're a professional photographer, you can be great at, at posing people and composing a shot and making sure that it looks nice, you know, in the frame. But if you don't know how to edit those photos, how to use Photoshop, how to develop your photos, I mean, now you don't have to develop photos anymore. But you know what I mean? If you don't know how to work with the image that you captured, you are not going to make it as a photographer. So you have to know your tech, you absolutely have to know your tech and you have to know it yourself. Also, there are many situations when you're literally on Zoom with a client and you are the engineer. They have no engineer for the project. They want to hear playback. If you can't do it, fine. But, you know, if you can, it makes you all that much more desirable to them as as a as a, you know, a client that they work with. And uh, the more professional you are and the more capabilities you have and the more knowledgeable you are about all of this stuff, the more people will want to work with you. Yeah. So just sit, make yourself learn it. Just sit down and learn it. And, you know, you can cry and, you know, be I did. Upset. I did. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I sat in front of my doll like, I don't know why there's clicking. What? What is this metronome? How do I turn it off? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to read and pretend like it's not there. Honestly, like, like, oh my no. God, it's so, it's so easy to figure this stuff out these days, though. Just go to Google, go to ChatGPT. Like, there's, you can literally just ask it in a, in a sentence form on ChatGPT, and it will probably give you the answer. Like, it's like speaking to someone. Probably. Yeah, I mean, it's worth, it'll point you in the right direction. Um, but, <laughs> 
if you don't do this and you are a headache for your client, they'll just go somewhere else and yeah. work with someone who can. So, you know, I know it sucks, but it's, it's the cost of being able to work from home, being able to work not in New York or LA. It's the cost of doing business for that. And it's brilliant that we can roll out of bed <laughs> and just, you know, bleary-eyed walk into our booth and start working. That's the cost it's of doing business. That's literally what I did this to, morning. Right. <laughs> Here I am. My glasses, no makeup, hanging out with Jamie, making up. <laughs> you can't see me, everyone, but please know that I'm Oh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing about being being uh, someone who doesn't wear makeup normally, like you, Jamie. Mm. You just wake up and you look like you do the whole rest of the day. But for the don't even have us, hair to to brush. <laughs> no, for those of us with hair and societal expectations of looking <laughs> like you have your face on, yeah, you know, it takes like at least two and a half minutes of work. <laughs> it is funny because I went to an event recently. And I have a jacket, like a like a sort of um, sports jacket, mm-hmm. and uh, I put it on, and everyone was like, "Oh wow, you dressed up for this!" <laughs> I literally had the same sweatpants, t-shirt, and all I did was put on a jacket. <laughs> and I was like, "I literally wow. just on my way out the house." <laughs> Are you a millionaire? <laughs> yes. You look like you look like a, an LA director. <laughs> Who's wearing jeans and a t-shirt, but with a blazer. Right. <laughs> and the baseball cap really tells them you have money, but you don't really care that much about what yeah, you have. It's yeah, great. that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> can we, I, I, I want to ask you a question. Hmm. When you send your auditions, do you process it at all before you send it out? Do you add a stack? Do you do any kind of, do you add makeup to your auditions before you send them out? I actually do. Okay. But it is very subtle. And I, if I turned it all off, you wouldn't really hear much of a difference. Just because I can, <laughs> I do. And, you know, I'm talking like for compression, it will just flick 1dB every now and again, like the little indicator thing. EQ is just very, very little surgical cuts and maybe a little boost in the high end just to give it a bit of brightness. Mainly that's to compensate for the mic that I have. Uh, it isn't a 416. This is an NTG5. What? I know. Jamie, um, you're never going to have a career. How? What What? What kind of audacious choice was that, it's, Jamie? I know. I, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> like I'm just such a rebel. Um, I love this microphone because very quiet. It's half the price of a 416. But it doesn't quite cut through. So I give it a little, little boost in the high end. And it works beautifully. So that's the only reason why I do it. And I'm really, not to toot my own trumpet too loudly, but I know how to use all the plugins. <laughs> you know, I know how to make, them, make it work. But if you took it all off, you would barely notice the change. So I do, but I have a strong opinion that if you're not completely comfortable knowing how to use all the buttons and all the dials and all the knobs on these plugins, you should not use them. Because you are almost definitely going to make it worse. <laughs> so if you use them, use them with intent and understand why you're using them and what you're looking to achieve for that. Um, what about you? I do exactly the same. Almost nothing. Um, I do, however, use um, a very, very, very tiny bit of NS1 noise suppression, um, which is also like a noise suppressor i feel like it's a compressor as well but literally i use it at 2.5 out of 100 (laughs) and so it's just that little extra get rid of any extraneous sound of like my anything weird happening in my booth um and then logic uh does when you make an mp3 i can turn it off but i like the sound of it it does normalize on export so it just makes sure that everything is kind of like an an the the dynamic range isn't too 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 great and and i like the i like the way that sounds so that's that's all that happens yeah um which actually speaks to laura quimbau is that how you pronounce her name um apologize laura for absolutely butchering your name she said it would be helpful to get a definitive on what people put their db at i normalize to minus three db for example so everyone at least is sending in auditions that are the same loudness 
So what you're setting your DB at, she's referring to, as she says when she's normalizing, what she's exporting from her door to send in. The term gain staging refers to how you set your gain at any stage in the process. So that can be, you know, really the first stage is how loud are you <laughs> into your microphone? How far away from the microphone are you? And then it is adjusted by the gain on the interface. And then every time you compress or EQ something, you're boosting in EQ, you're boosting frequencies, you're cutting frequencies. So that's, that's a gain stage as well. Compression, of course. And then on your master fader, maybe you've got like a limiter or something like that, for example, that's also a step of gain. So gain staging applies all throughout the process. Now, normalizing in a lot of software, Pro Tools doesn't do this, but in a lot of software, it basically, it finds the loudest part in that recording and it sets the level of where that loud part is. So if you're minus, if you're normalizing to minus three, it finds that loud peak and it turns that peak up to or down to minus three, and then everything else is adjusted accordingly, like by the same degree. Well, and then also there are two kinds of normalization. There's peak yeah. normalization, which is what you just talked about. And then there's loudness normalization, which is another algorithm that basically like takes the entire section that you want to normalize and finds the, the average. like I don't, I, the average loudness of that section and brings everything up to meet the average loudness. But most people are using peak normalization. Most people are using peak normalization. Unless you're in yeah. audiobooks. <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever listened to a podcast. There's there's one podcast that I listen to. Um, it's actually, <laughs> it's the 2020 podcast. And the 2020 podcast, they literally take the TV show, they rip it from TV and they put it into a podcast. And it's so quiet. Yeah. I have to like turn my volume up like crazy to just hear them speak on the 2020 podcast. But then the ads come on and it's like, you know, we're speaking at this level on 2020. Do you need a new credit card? And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so loud. And <laughs> all the ads are super loud because they're all normalized, I guess. And maybe the show yeah. is not because they just rip it from TV and they assume that it all sounds the same level. But somebody should be checking that 2020. I know your producers listen to this pro podcast uh, religiously. So. Well, on TV, <laughs> they had very, very strict rules that they employed globally for the volume and the compression of advertising, and that is RMS normalization or limiting compression. If you remember beyond about eight, nine years ago, you'd be watching a TV show and then the ads would come on and take your head off. Mm -hmm. Now that's no longer the case. Podcasting yeah. is the Wild West. You know, yes. we're also determined, like Apple and Spotify have their own like loudness systems as well that they employ. But yeah, as it relates to auditions, the conventional wisdom is you peak to minus three. But it, if you're recording a super dynamic thing where you're making one loud noise in the middle and everything's whispered, that's going to mean nothing. <laughs> but what it's really aiming at is that if you have your gain staging right, if you have your mic technique right, if you've you know recorded well, you're basically turning that level up so the loudest part is minus three. It's going to be kind of in the ballpark of the same volume. And that means that when you're being cast, when the person's casting is listening to all the auditions, they're less likely to be influenced by it being loud or super quiet. So for example, if you're super quiet, and you're being heard third and everyone else is loud, it's just going to sound weak and thin yeah. by a human being. It's just going to yeah. interpret it that way in comparison. And that's not fair judgment. There's one thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the rest of the questions. And that is um, a lot of people when they start, and this kind of speaks to Alicia's uh, question a little bit too. They think like, okay, I have my gain set and now it's set and I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> And this is where it lives, because I know that this is what's right for my voice. The gain is the sensitivity of your microphone, right? For any of you who don't know that. It's, it's, the, it's the amount of sound that's being taken in and, and processed. So you turn it up, and it, and it takes in more sound. You turn it down, and it's less. So if you're doing an animation audition... Jamie, what do you do with your gain? Uh, well, it almost definitely goes down. <laughs> uh, I don't do much animation, but video games for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're doing a lot of 
just corporate narration, you're not going to be moving your game probably ever. No, but maybe not. If you're doing dynamic character performances and you specialize in like soldier guys or you know crazy wacky characters, you're going to be adjusting your gain and probably line to line. Uh-huh. Um, so in that case, it also behooves you to have an ability to adjust your gain in your booth. So you're not able to go keep going in and out every single line, particularly if you're directed live. So either that could be with your interface in the booth with you, or you have a um, digitally controlled interface that you can use with the software on your computer. But yeah, I mean, it really depends what you're doing. Yeah. And then the opposite is true as well. Like I know for a lot of us, uh, women sounding voices out there uh we get a lot of asmr audition requests mm. asmr yeah. is literally like you turn your gain all the way up and you talk like this into the microphone and you hear all of the mouth clicks and everything and i turned my game up to 10 so that i can whisper <laughs> some guys just crashed his car <laughs> <laughs> um so, yeah, if you're doing something that's really quiet, you want to turn up. Mm. So it's true. You can have a level that you're like, this is my regular speaking level, and I'm going to keep my gain at this at this level so that I I know that this is where it sounds nice. But, you know, sometimes even if someone says, even, even take to take in a session, if someone's like, we just need this one with more energy, I might be like, okay, here we go. And then I just turn it down just the slightest little half of a percent so that I can comfortably give more volume and energy to the read without worrying that I'm going to peak. And if you give yourself headroom anyway, I mean, these days, you know, having to like set the gain so you're just just dropping below zero, which is the sort of no-no point, you don't want to cross zero. In the old days, you wanted to do that because you got the most signal compared to the noise in the recording on tape. You got that the wider the ratio. These days, you know, particularly if you're in a great sounding booth and, you know, your mic's nice and quiet, your interface is quiet, you know, you don't have any noise from lights or whatever, you have a lot of scope to turn the gain down so that in post you can turn it back up. Once you're in this in the door, it's really easy to just turn different sections up and down. But you want to make sure that you capture audio with some level of headroom, which is space between the loudest part and zero dB. So if you just want to be safe, just turn your mic down a bit, you know, and uh, give yourself some breathing space. And it's not such a big deal. The rule of thumb is better to be too quiet than to clip and distort (laughs) and have it be too loud because you can fix too quiet. You can't really fix too loud. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I mean, these days you can actually fix, yeah. you know, but but it's still not right. It's not doesn't no. sound good. But um, yeah, okay, right. With oh my god, three questions in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we talk about Source Connect? Yeah, because like a million of these questions are about Source Connect. We might have to make this a two part episode. Oh, for sure. This might be a nine part episode. A nine part episode. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> Okay, first of all, I really, really love the comment of Source Connect needs a mute button. (laughs) Thank you, Gina (laughs) Scarpa. Yes, (laughs) yes, mute button for Source Connect. Please, 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 please. Because you can't mute on Source Connect standard. You can't mute yourself. Mm. Sometimes a client is like taking... 20 minutes to like go into another room and discuss all the takes and listen back to all the takes and choose the ones. And I'm sitting there for 20 minutes with my source connect just going. And the only way that I can do anything else is to turn off my microphone on my end. But then that means I can't do any other work. Yeah. Right. I would love to spend that 20 minutes doing auditions, reading through other scripts, recording other work that I have to do. And if I could just mute Source Connect, I can listen for when they come back. I can still use my system on my end when I want to. I can get all my work done in the 20 minutes that they're working. Because what am I going to do during that time? Yeah. Nothing. And apparently they're receptive to that. And I think there is, I don't know when, but there is a new Source Connect coming. And I think that will have it as, as for, from what I've heard. So that's that's a good thing. So yeah, a lot of people are saying that 
it's not as complicated as others are trying to make out. And I would I would agree with that. So Source Connect, if you're unaware, is software that you install on your computer and you sign into and your mic goes through this software and then that essentially sends that over the internet to someone else who has Source Connect and you connect like a, you know, like a phone call. Um, but it's in super high quality. There are a few th irritating things that you need to do to set it up with your router to make sure that you have a really solid connection port mapping it's called but once it's set up it can be a bit glitchy but nine times out of ten just restarting the software is the solution to the problem <laughs> it really isn't that complicated you get a username and you whenever you want to work someone work with someone on source connect you send them your username and then they'll most of the time make the connection and then they'll just show up in your connections list and then when it's time you just stick it on i always do an echo test which is you connect with one of their echo servers and it just sends your signal back to you as if you're having a phone call with yourself and if you can hear yourself like half a second later you know okay great everything's working i can hear what's coming back and i'm sending out in good quality someone also mentioned about software updates and operating system updates now i will say i do sympathize with a lot of software manufacturers because apple will just they'll work with like adobe and avid and you know all these other companies to make sure their software is compatible with the next version of the os but they're not necessarily going down to these smaller manufacturers. So they're then, as soon as the, the new operating system is out, then they're scrambling to make sure that their software works. So they're behind the times. So it's a bit harder for them to make sure that it immediately works, which is why everyone always says, and we support this, do not upgrade your operating system when it comes out because you could completely screw your system up big time. Yeah, just wait a while. Just yeah. wait a while. You'll be fine. I haven't updated my software since 2016. It's great. I mean, I my last computer, I never upgraded the software in like 11 years of owning the computer or something. <laughs> and eventually it got to the point where like Chrome wouldn't work. <laughs> but um, it just, everything was working and I was just paranoid about spending a day having to fix everything. Mm -hmm. Or if you do upgrade and if you're on a Mac, I don't know what the equivalent is on a PC, but do a time machine backup. Uh, backup before you do that so that you can recover everything super quick and super easy if something goes wrong. But yeah. This this is another reason why it's important to, and this is the theme of the episode, make sure your space sounds good and capture it right the first time. Because mm. unless your mic is going through a preamp, which most people don't have a preamp where you're, where you're um, capturing audio with, you know, with things on it, most people are just capturing raw audio and it's going into their interface. If that is you, then the people on the other end of Source Connect are getting your raw audio. And if your audio only works when you have a stack attached to it that you think sounds good, there's something wrong with your setup and you need to fix it at the at the starting point, at yeah. the point of my booth needs to be fixed so that you can always capture raw audio and send raw audio and it's going to sound great. Yeah. And there's also a difference between your studio having noise interruptions and the quality of the sound of your studio. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you live somewhere where it's noisy at a certain time of day, well, if you have a live session, just don't book it for that time of day, right? But in terms of making this and keeping those sounds out is really, really hard like a truck passing or or a helicopter Plane or, train. or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or you live next yeah. to a hospital and the ambulance is going by all the time or I mean the, the, good luck or good luck with that yeah. that's going to be a nightmare but making your space sound good it's not that difficult i mean i often recommend to people if if they can find a quiet location in their home getting one of those pvc pipe booths and surrounding it with acoustic blankets that is a pretty amazing space to record in it really does sound good and you can totally create if you know what you're doing a space that will get you on air will get you on great video games and and is good enough for corporate narration audiobooks all this kind of stuff what's difficult is making a space that enables you to record whatever's happening outside of this that space yeah. um but again that's a grow as you go situation and then you're looking at 
booths or constructing within your space if you don't rent um, and all that kind of stuff. So there there are a few like pre-made PVC pipe booths that you can just buy if you don't mm. feel like cutting PVC pipe yourself. Um, Tribooth was a sponsor of Vocation uh, Cancun, and my husband has a Tribooth, and it sounds great. We put it in, um, we built a shed in the backyard <laughs> that's now <laughs> outfitted to be a, very, a fully capable office for him, um, and uh, there's a Tribooth in there, and it sounds awesome. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's a prefab one. There's another one, Vocal Booth to Go have, I think they just have a set of plans. So you mm-hmm. can go to like Lowe's or whatever and and buy a bunch of PVC pipe. You can even have them cut it up for you right there and then to the lengths. And then you buy the right connectors and then you put it all together and tape it up and you've got a booth. Let's talk about doors. Tim Let's Ratledge. That one door is better than the other. They all have different features. Take a day, try them all, figure out which one works best for you and use it. I love that comment. It's absolutely the truth. Yes. Um, all they are is just fancy memo recorders <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, they just have to record audio and play it back. And ideally, all you need to do is top and tail them and send it off, right? That's that's really what you need to do. If Audacity is working for you, fine, go for it. The problem with something like a free solution like Audacity is that when something goes wrong, who do you go to? <laughs> Who do you go to get it fixed or figure out? Maybe you can post online, blah, blah, blah. But if you have a membership with Adobe or with Avid or you know, you're know you using Logic, you've at least got some recourse there to try and figure out the problem should something go wrong. This also speaks to Alicia's comment earlier and understanding your equipment, understanding how it works. So hopefully these little glitches aren't a thing. But I would say... I completely agree with Tim that you should try a bunch of them out. Most of them have at least free trials, and it could be as simple as you just prefer the look of one over another. You know, you got to you spend a lot of time with this thing. There's the way the buttons are organized, you know, whatever it is that makes sense to you. Another thing, if you don't have the ability to try them and use them yourself, is again, go on YouTube and watch a bunch of tutorials. Some will feel more instinctive to you than others. You know, this is the main tool beyond the physical equipment that you are going to use every day in your career. So, you know, people moan about like, oh, it's $30 a month. It's like, yeah, but it, it's like, how much money is it making you? <laughs> you know, like, it's yeah. your main tool. So I get that people are frustrated, but it's not like we're running a shop here where we have five, ten thousand $10,000 worth of rent every month to pay, <laughs> you know. It's a pretty, pretty low bar to entry. I will say that there's one option, though, that is not the best, which is, and I talked about this earlier, the one that I started on, which is GarageBand. And the reason is exactly what I said before. So most clients, the standard rate, sample rate, bit rate that they want you to send raw audio at is um, a WAV file that is 24-bit, 48 kilohertz, um, and mono. GarageBand doesn't allow you to export files with those specifications. You can only do 16-bit 44.1 kilohertz, and it's only available in stereo. So you can put it into a converter or something and make it mono. Um, You can uh, change the sample rate after the fact and the bit rate after the fact to make it 24 or 48, but... Um, you're losing a, a little bit of uh, information in the recording. And if the sample rate is wrong, sometimes you put it into a project and it'll make you sound like you yeah. have a monster voice. Um, so it's just not the best thing. But if you like GarageBand and you're playing around on GarageBand and you're like, man, I've used Mac products my whole life. This is like iMovie. This is like, you know, whatever. And GarageBand works with your brain. Logic is great. It's like 200 bucks. It might be 250 now. You pay one time. All the buttons are in the same place, and it's great, and that's what I use. So um, you want to make sure that your DAW has professional capabilities, which Audacity does. Audacity sometimes has more capabilities than uh, some of the things that I use. <laughs> like uh, you can export in ULAW, yeah. which is on Audacity, which is like you need that for phone systems sometimes, and I don't have that in any of my other programs. So if I need to do that, I, I put my files into Audacity and 
export them. Yeah, I export my files when I do phone systems and out of Pro Tools and <laughs> import them into Audacity, which is Audacity, like hilarious right. Right. to actually export ULOS. And just a couple of things just to clarify on, on what you just said. There is going to be no discernible difference between 16-bit and 24-bit. Yeah, of course. But when you're editing video, most sessions are 2448 in like Premiere Pro or you know the other software that people use. So it's just really easy. They don't have to go through a file conversion process. A lot of these, this software will convert your files to whatever it needs in a way that doesn't pitch it up or down or speed it up or slow it down. The other thing, just a point of clarification, it's bit depth, not bit rate. Bit rate is bit to do depth. with yeah. Bit rate is to do with converting to an MP3. Yes, and that's a different thing. But yeah, it's just just to be a bit anal about. That. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> I think we have got time for one more, shall we? Uh, yeah, let's talk about um, doing playback. <laughs> oh, easy. Don't. <laughs> so you need to figure out how it's it. <sighs> I always don't, I don't offer playback when I'm engineering my own session unless they really, 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 really want it. And that's because it just takes so much more time to do a take, do three in a row or something, and then play back all three takes. Like, why weren't you paying attention the first time to the one that you liked? And then just tell me what it is and we'll just... So I don't offer playback as a rule unless they specifically ask for it. If they specifically ask for it, every program has a different way of you doing playback and you have to figure out the way each program works. Zoom is fairly easy. You just enable, you know, audio to come from your computer and then you should be able to play back. Now, if you have multiple channels on your interface, sometimes Zoom is only attached to one channel. So if your microphone is like going into channel two and not channel one, and Zoom is taking audio from channel one and not two, that's the case with Google Meet and Microsoft Teams. That can, that can make it so that they can't hear you or you can't do playback. Um, but there's also a kind of software called Loopback, and I have Loopback. I've used it a couple of times. And basically, it's uh, like just a software that takes the sound from your computer and loops it into uh, whatever program you're using. It's a little bit complicated to figure out, but there are like graphs to help you figure out wh where the sound is going. <laughs> um, and you can do it. Uh but worst case scenario, you just export each take and upload it to a Dropbox folder and give them a link so that they can listen back to it in real time. And hopefully that will be so annoying to them that they just won't ask for it. Yeah, that is the closest I get is I will set up Zoom to be able to play back audio from my computer and I will yeah. just export the take and play it from my desktop or something like it just takes 15 seconds. Um, I don't set up loopback. I don't do playback. That's a line I'll draw in terms of the engineering. It's an extra variable that I just don't want anything to do with. <laughs> if it's a serious session, they require playback. They'll need a third-party engineer, yeah. which is 99% of the time what they have. And yeah. that, that person is in charge of keeping track of takes, labeling takes, playing things back, cutting it together to picture, playing it back through Zoom so that everyone can see what it looks like. Like That really is not your job. <laughs> No, but just to reiterate, you can do that, Jamie. Mm. You have the ability to be able to do that if you absolutely had to. Yes, yes, but I choose not to. Right. I kind of like doing it sometimes. And actually, in my sessions, I only record takes. I don't hit record and let it run for the whole session. Mm. I, I stop and start all my takes. Even if it's a Source Connect session, I always stop and start all my takes. That's just a standard thing that I do across all sessions and i like it better that way because then i don't have to edit anything after the fact if they just want takes see and, i didn't um, do that because i'm paranoid i'm gonna forget i'm gonna press record but see the thing is if you only ever do it that way yeah it's muscle memory like your yeah. brain doesn't even like i can't even start speaking until my finger hits r on the keyboard yeah like i won't even like i can't there's no situation in my mind where i would ever take a breath and just go without hitting record because I'm so used to doing it that way. And if someone says, just start the recording and let it run, that makes me feel nervous. <laughs> Do you have like a sort of idiot button R that you can press like so that it doesn't connect, not connected to anything in those situations? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, well, I don't, I, I ask them if they're like, you can just hit record and let it run. 
I'm like, would you mind if I just record takes? And they're like, oh, no, that's great. Like, I'm, I've never had anyone say, no, we need you to keep it running the whole time. Yeah. What's good about that, actually, is your if you've got autosave set up on your door, it means it's going to save everything. Yeah. When you press record and let it run, if your computer went down, if you had a power cut, like, in the middle of that, you've lost that entire thing. Exactly. You've lost the backup. That is the thing. Or that I'm if your computer, about. like, has some weird thing and crashes yeah. or runs out of memory that you didn't know you didn't have, you know, in the middle of it, like, you... you it's uh, gone. It's gone. Yeah. Whereas if you stop and start takes, you at least have the takes that you've done so far. Yeah. That is definitely a good benefit um, to that for sure. But again, I do it that way because that's the way that works best with my brain and my workflow. Mm. If that's not the way that works best for you and your workflow, don't do it that way. Yeah. And when I'm in an in-person session in a studio, obviously I'm not hitting record every time you're just tapping your thigh like um excuse me could you um i know that you're the engineer but could you provide me with a keyboard on the inside so i can control things from my end as well thank you oh my goodness that would be <laughs> taking control freakery to then to another level <laughs> um i only record myself so um i don't allow anyone else to record me <laughs> Okay. Well, that was good. We got through a bunch. I keep getting beeps in my ear, so we've got obviously a lot more here to go through. So maybe we'll do another one. Yeah, we have like 80 comments now. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my God. I mean, I think it's like 70-something. 67 the last time I looked. Wait. People are really freaked out about tech. 68. 68, <laughs> 68 comments so far, and the post has been up for one hour. So <laughs> people okay. have questions, Jamie. How many did we get through? Like six? Like five. <laughs> so we're going to be there for we'll a while. We'll do at least one more episode on this. Coming soon. Next time on the VO Breakfast Show, <laughs> Jamie and Karin discuss tech again. I use the word bugbears that apparently people aren't familiar with. Are you familiar with that term? Bugbear? Next time, bugbears <laughs> and more. General confusions, bugbears, and embarrassing admissions about tech. <laughs> Next time on the VO Breakfast Show. I'm going to put that at the end. <laughs> With some dramatic orchestral music. <laughs> okay, that was fun. We'll be back. Next Bye, time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Next time on the VO Breakfast Show. Jamie and Karen discuss tech again.